Babbel.com. Language for life. Why Babbel? When you want to learn new, a new language, you want to be able to actually use it with real people in the real world. Every part of Babbel's is designed with that goal in mind. Designed by pros. Lessons with realistic scenarios designed by over 100 linguists. Use what you learn. Interactive dialogues that get you speaking confidently. Learn on any device. Compatibility with most devices with lessons that are only 10 to 15 minutes long. Remember everything. Reviews that bring back everything you've learned. Number one selling language learning app. Download the app today and start learning language for your everyday life from the App Store or Google Play. Choose how you learn. To start with Babbel, choose your plan that works best for you. Babbel app subscription. Get unlimited access to hundreds of award-winning lessons designed for all learners based on level and time commitment. Bible, Babbel live subscription. You'll have access to live virtual classes taught by top language teachers available at a variety of days, times, and levels, plus access to all Babbel online lessons. People love Babbel. Thousands of five-star reviews. Publications love Babbel. The Wall Street Journal, Business Insiders, CNN, Forbes, the New York Times, The Washington Post, USA Today, at CNET. You can choose from the following languages. Spanish, French, German, Italian, Russian, Portuguese, Turkey, Dutch, Swedish, Polish, Norwegian, Indonesian, Danish. Over 10 million subscriptions sold. Plushcare.com. Healthcare that makes you smile. Virtual primary care and mental health treatment when you need it. Get personalized high-quality health care by taking two top U.S. medical doctors all from the ease of your smartphone. Care for you and the ones you love most. High quality. Plushcare's high-skilled online doctors are ta- trained at the top 50 U.S. medical schools with an average of 15 years of experience. Our, their online doctors give you and your entire family the peace of mind you should expect from your health care provider. Convenient? Just book an appointment, chat via video on your smartphone, and pick up your prescription from your pharmacy. Their advanced technology is integrated with most major insurers, labs, and pharmacies. Affordable. Training. Talking to an online doctor has never been easier and more affordable for just your copay or $9.99 per visit. $99 per visit. You can get quality care from one of their highly skilled online doctors. They are in network with most major insurers in the U.S. and provide care in all 50 states, over 415,000 patients cared for. Good morning. Hope you had a good week. Here's Chapter 2 of Laura Ingalls Wilder's Farmer Boy, titled Winter Evening. The air was still as ice and the twigs were snapping in the cold. A gray light came from the snow, but shadows were gathering in the woods. It was dusk when Almanzo trudged up the last slope to the farmhouse. He hurried behind Royal, who hurried behind Mr. Course. Alice walked fast behind Eliza Jane in the other sled track. They kept their mouths covered from the cold and did not say anything. The roof of the tall red painted house was surrounded with snow and from all the eaves hung a fringe of great icicles. The front of the house was dark but a sled track went to the big barns and a path had been shoveled to the side door and candle light shone in the kitchen windows. Amonzo did not go into the house. He gave the dinner pill to Alice and he went to the barns with Royal. There were three long enormous barns around three sides of the square barnyard. Altogether, 
there were the finest barns in all that country. Almanza went first into the horse barn. It faced the house, and it was 100 feet long. The horse's row of box stalls was in the middle at one end of the cow shed, and beyond it the snug hen house, and the other end was the buggy house. It was so large that two buggies and the sleigh could be driven into it with plenty of room to unhitch the horses. The horses went from it into their stalls without going out again into the cold. The big barn began at the west end of the house barn and made the west side of the barnyard. In the big barn's middle was the big barn floor. Great doors opened onto it from the meadows to let loaded hay wagons in. On one side was the great hay bay, 50 feet long and 20 feet wide, crammed full of hay with, to the peak of the roof far overhead. Beyond the big barn floor were 14 stalls for the cows and oxen. Beyond them was a machine shed, and beyond it was a tool shed. There you turned the corner into the south barn. In it was a feed room, then the hog pens, then the calf pens, then the south barn floor. This was a threshing floor. It was even larger than the big barn floor, and the fanning mill stood there. Beyond the south barn floor was a shed for the young cattle, and beyond it was the sheep fold. That was all the, of the south barn. A tight board fence, 12 feet high, stood along the east side of the barnyard. The three huge barns and the fence walled in the snug yard. Winds howled and snow beat against them, but could not get in. No matter how stormy the winter, there was hardly ever more than two feet of snow in the sheltered barnyard. When Almanza went into these great barns, he always went through the barn, house barn, horse barn's little door. He loved horses. They, there he stood in their roomy box stalls, clean and sleek and gleaming brown, with long black manes and trails. The wise, sedate work horses placidly munched hay. The three-year-olds put their noses together across the bars. They seemed to whisper together. Then softly, their nostrils whooshed along one another's necks. One pretended to bite, and they squealed and whirled and kicked in play. The old horses turned their heads and looked like grandmothers at the young ones, but the colts ran about excited on their gangling legs and stared and wondered. They all knew him on, so the ears pricked up and their eyes shone softly when they saw him. Three, the three-year-olds came eagerly and thrust their heads out to nuzzle him, at him. Their noses prickled with a few stiff hairs, were soft as velvet, and on their foreheads, the short, fine hair was silky smooth. Their necks arched proudly firm and round, and the black manes fell over them like a heavy fringe. You could run your hand along those firm, curved necks in the warmth under the mane. But Amonzo hardly dared to do it. He was not allowed to touch the beautiful three-year-olds. He could not go into their stalls, not even to clean them. Father would not let him handle the young horses or the colts. Father did not trust him yet, because colts and young, unbroken horses are very easily spoiled. A boy who didn't know any better might scare a young horse or tease it or even strike it, and that would ruin it. It would learn to bite and kick and hate people, and then it would, be, it would never be a good horse. Amonzo did know better. He, could, he wouldn't ever scare or hurt one of those beautiful colts. He would always be quiet and gentle and patient. He wouldn't startle a colt or shout at it, or not even if it stepped on his foot. But Father wouldn't believe this. No, so Amonzo could only look longingly at the eager three-year-olds. He just touched their velvet noses, and then he went quickly away from them and put on his barn frog over his good school clothes. Father had already watered all the stock, and he was beginning to give them the grain. Royal Amonzo took pictures and went from stall to star, cleaning out the soiled hay underfoot and spreading fresh hay from the manger to make clean beds for the cows and, and the oxen and the calves and the sheep. They did not have to make beds for the hogs because hogs made their own, make their own beds and keep them clean. In the south barn, Amonzo's own two little calves were in one stall. They came crowding each other at the bars when they saw him. Both calves were red, and one had a white spot on his forehead. Amonzo named him Star.
The other one was bright red all over, and Monza called him Bright. Star and Bright were young calves, not yet a year old. Their little horns had only begun to grow hard in the soft hair by their ears, and Monza scratched around the little horns because calves like that. They pushed in moist blunt noses between the bars and licked with their rough tongues. Amonzo took two carrots from the cow's feed box and snapped little pieces off them and fed the pieces one by one to Star and Bright. Then he took his pitchfork again and climbed into the haymows hay overhead. It was dark there. Only a little light came from the pierced tin sides of the lantern hung in the alleyway below. Royal and Amonzo were not allowed to take a lantern into the haymows for fear of fire, but in the moment they could see in the dusk. They worked fast, pitching hay into the man- manger below. Amonzo could hear the crunching of all the animals eating. The hay mows were warm with the warmth of all the stock below, and they smelled, and the hay smelled dusty sweet. There was a smell, too, of the horses and cows, and a woolly smell of sheep. And before the boys finished filling the mangers, there was a good smell of warm milk foaming into father's milk pail. Amonzo took his own little milking stool and a pail and sat in blossom stall and milked her. His hands were not yet strong enough to milk a hard milker, but he could milk Blossom and Bossy. They were good little old cows who gave down their milk easily and hardly ever switched a stinging tail into his eyes or upset the pail with a hind foot. He sat with the pail between his feet, milked steadily, left, right, swish, swish, the streams of milk slanted into the pail while the cows licked up their grain and crunched their carrots. The barn cows curved their bodies against the corner of the stall, loudly purring. They were sleek and fat from eating mice. Every barn cat had large ears and a long tail, sure signs of good of a good mouser. Day and night they patrolled the barns, keeping mice and rats from the feed bins, and at milking time they lapped up pans of warm milk. When Amonzo had finished milking, he filled the pans for the cats. His father went into Blossom stall with his own pail and stool and sat down to strip the last richest drops of milk from Blossom's udder, but Amonzo had got it all. Then father went into Bossy's stall. He came out at once and said, You're a good milker, son. Almanzo just turned around and kicked at the straw on the floor. He was too pleased to say anything. Now he could milk cows by himself. Father needn't strip them from after him. Pretty soon he would be milking the hardest milkers. Almanzo's father had pleasant blue eyes that twinkled. He was a big man with a long, soft brown beard and soft brown hair. His frock of brown wool hung to the tops of his tall boots. The two fronts of it were crossed on his broadest chest and built a snug around his waist, then the skirt of the hung of it hung down over his trousers of good brown full cloth. Father was an important man, he had a good farm, he drove the best horses in that country, his word was as good as his bond, and every year he put money in the bank. When father drove into Malone, all the townspeople spoke to him respectfully. Royal came up with his milk pail and the Lantern, he said in a low voice, Father Big Bill Richard came to school today. The holes of the tin lantern freckled everything with light, little lights and shadows. Amonzo could see that Father looked solemn. He stroked his beard and slowly shook his head. Amonzo waited anxiously, but Father only took the lantern and made the last round of the barns to see that everything was snug for the night. Then they went to the house. The cold was cruel. The night was black and still, and the stars were tiny sparkles in the sky. Amonzo was glad to set into the big kitchen, warm with fire and candlelight. He was very hungry. Soft water from the rain barrel was warming on the stove. First father, then royal, then Amonzo took his turn at the wash basin on the bench by the door. Amonzo wiped on the linen roller towel, then standing before the little mirror on the wall, he parted his wet hair and combed it smoothly down. The kitchen was full of hoop skirts, balancing and swirling. Eliza Jane and Alice were hurrying to dish up supper. 
The saucy brown smell of frying ham made Alonzo's stomach gnaw inside him. He stopped just a minute in the pantry door. Mother was straining the milk at the far end of the long pantry. Her back was toward him. The shelves on both sides were loaded with good things to eat. Big yellow cheeses were stacked there, and large brown cakes of maple sugar, and there were crusty loaves of fresh-baked bread, and four large cakes and one full, whole shelf full of pies. One of the pies was cut, and a little piece of crust was temptingly broken off. It, was ne- it would never be missed. Amonzo hadn't even moved yet, but Eliza Jane cried out, Amonzo, you stuffed that. Mother! Mother didn't turn around. She said, Leave that be, Amonzo. You'll spoil your supper. That was so senseless that it that it made Amonzo mad. One little bite couldn't spoil a supper. He was starving, and they wouldn't let him eat anything until they had put it on the table. There wasn't any sense in it. But, of course, he could not say this to Mother. He had to obey her without a word. He stuck out his tongue in Eliza Jane. She couldn't do anything. Her hands were full. Then he went quickly into the dining room. The lamplight was dazzling by the square heating stove set into the wall. Father was talking politics to Mr. Course. Father's face tw- was toward the supper table, and the monsters dared not touch anything on it. There were slabs of tempting cheese, there were a plate of quivering head cheese, there was glass dishes of jams and jellies and preserves, and a tall pitcher of milk, and a streaming pan of baked beans with a crisp bite of fat pork and the crumbling brown dust. A monster looked at them all, and something twisted in his middle. He swallowed and went slowly away. The dining room was pretty. There were green stripes of rose and rows of tiny red flowers on the chocolate brown wallpaper, and Mother had woven the rag carpet to match. She had dyed the rags green and chocolate brown and wove them in stripes with a tiny stripe of red and white tags. Rags twisted together between them. The tall corner covers were full of fastening things, seashells and petrified wood and curious rocks and books, and over the center table hung an air castle. Alice had made it of clean yellow wheat straws, set together early with bits of brightly covered cloth at the corners that swayed and quivered in the slightest breath of air, and the lamplight ran glimming along the golden straw. But to Amonzo, the most beautiful sight was his mother, bringing in the big yellow ware platter full of sizzling ham. Mother was short and plump and pretty. Her eyes were blue, and her brown hair was like a bird's smooth wings. A row of little buttons ran down the front of her dress of wine-colored wool, from her flat white linen collar to the white apron tied around her waist. Her big sleeves hung like large red bells at the either end of the blue platter. She came through the door with a little pause and a tug because her hoop skirts were wider than the door. The smell of the ham was almost more than Almanzo could bear. Mother set the platter on the table. She looked to see that everything was ready and the table properly set. She took off her apron and hung it in the kitchen. She waited until Father had finished what he was saying to Mr. Kors, but at last she said, James, supper is ready. I've seen a long time before they were all in their places. Mother sat at the head of the table. Father sat at the head of the table. Mother at the foot. Then they must all bow their heads while Father asked God to bless the food. After that, there was a little pause where her Father unfolded his napkin and tucked it in the neck band of his frock. He began to fill the place. First he filled Mr. Corse's plate, then Mother's, then Royal's, and Eliza Jane's and Alice's. Then at last he filled Amonzo's plate. Thank you, Amonzo said. Those were the only words he was allowed to speak at table at the table. Children must be seen and not heard. Father and mother and Mr. Corsica could talk, but Royal and Eliza Chain and Alice Almanzo must not say must not say a word. Almanzo ate the sweet metal baked beans, he ate the bit of salt pork that melted like cream in his mouth. He ate mealy boiled potatoes with brown ham gravy. He ate the ham, he bit deep into the velvety bread spread with sleek butter, and he ate the crisp golden crust. He demolished a tall heap of pale mashed turnips and a hill of stewed yellow pumpkin. He, then he sighed and tucked his napkin deeper into the neckband of his red waist, he, and he ate 
plum preserves with strawberry jams and grape jelly and spiced watermelon rind pickles. He felt very comfortable inside, so he ate a large piece of pumpkin pie. He heard Father Course Father say to Mr. Course, The hard scale boys came to school today, Royal tells me. Yes, Mr. Course said. I hear they're saying they'll throw you out. Mr. Course said, I guess they'll be trying it. Father blew on the tea in the saucer. He tasted it, then drained the saucer and poured a little more tea into it. They have driven out two teachers, they said. Last year they hurt Jonas Lane so bad he died of it later. I know, Mr. Corr said. Jonas Lane and I went to school together. He was my friend. Father did not say any more. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Laura Ingalls Wilder's Farmer Boy. Stay safe out there. Have a good week. And as always, thank you for listening.